Well, we're in Mark chapter 1. If you've got a Bible, we're going to be in Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 40. Uh, This next little story in the Bible here, I'd actually planned on zooming over and getting to the next thing, but I just felt strongly impressed that this would be a good place for us to slow down and see what the Spirit's teaching us in these next five verses. Uh, But Mark chapter 1, verse 40, Jesus has been teaching. Uh, He's been healing. Uh, When he speaks, he's casting out demons. When he speaks, he's got authority like nobody else. And here's what happens next. In Mark 1, 40, it says, A leper came to him, imploring him. And kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. So in this passage, a leper, a guy with leprosy, comes to Jesus. And leprosy, according to Dr. Wikipedia, is, um, is a disease that damages your skin, it damages your nerves, it damages your eyes, and it's not necessarily a painful disease, and the reason that it's not painful is because it causes numbness, and the numbness is really part of the problem, because you don't feel anything in your nerves, and you don't necessarily notice if you're getting an infection, or if there's a bug that's burrowing into you, and so, so if you have leprosy, you have a disease that causes you to rot little by little, without necessarily knowing it. Uh, it would disfigure you, it would, would mar you, and in Jesus' day, this disease was incurable. Uh, there, were, there are four different times in the Bible where we see lepers being healed. One of them, there are 10 lepers, so a total of 13 lepers are healed in the Bible. But every time, it's a miracle. Every time, it's God intervening and doing something that's not normally done, and that's really the definition of a miracle, when God steps into the natural order and does something that doesn't naturally happen, that you don't normally expect. And so we've got these 13 lepers all throughout Scripture that are healed, that are miraculously cleansed, miraculously healed, but that wasn't the norm. That wasn't the way things normally went. If you got this, if you got what we call today Hansen's disease, you had it, and it was a sentence. It stayed with you. And not only that, but it was contagious. Uh, Wikipedia also says that this spread by respiratory droplets, which means if you get around a leper who sneezes, if you've seen the movie Outbreak, that that little droplet gets into somebody else, and that's how that that leprosy was spread. Uh, It was so contagious, it was so disfiguring, it was such a bad deal that God had to put some strict laws around it to keep leprosy from breaking out among the camp of his people. So Leviticus 13, verse 45, this is what God said they had to do. He said, the leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose, and he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease, he is unclean. He shall live alone, and his dwelling shall be outside the camp. So part of the pain of leprosy was that if you had leprosy, you were cut off from people. You were sent outside the camp, and later on when they built cities, outside the city. You couldn't live among the other people because you were contagious, you could spread your disease, and you had to spend your days living in desolate places by yourself. Maybe at best you found another colony of lepers where you could all be disfigured together and contagious together. And and you were identified by your sin. You were, this guy who comes to Jesus, we don't even know his name. We just know he was a leper. That became a big part of who he is. When you went different places where there were people, you had to pretty much turn on your siren and yell, unclean, unclean, to get everybody to pull over and get away from you so that you wouldn't spread the disease. You had to dress in a way so that everybody knew that you were a leper. You had to wear torn clothes and wear your hair a certain way. So this was who you were. You got cut off from your family. You got cut off from your friends. You got cut off from your church. You couldn't worship in the temple anymore. No more more weddings, no more funerals, no more dinners with friends. You were just a leper. 
This disease made you contagious and scary and marred and disfigured, and people thought that you were a monster. So you didn't want this disease. And it was so serious that God said if somebody touched a leper, he was considered ceremonially unclean. And so if you touched a leper, you basically had to act like you were a leper until you could confirm that you didn't catch the leprosy. So, so it spread, and God just put all these rules around it so, that you, so it didn't spread too quickly. And this guy who comes up to Jesus, uh, the Gospel of Luke says he was full of leprosy. So his disease had progressed. And what maybe starts as a boil or a white spot on your skin, this guy was full of. He was covered with it. The disease had been running its course for quite a while. And he comes up to Jesus, probably yelling, unclean, unclean. This huge crowd that's around Jesus disperses. This guy comes and kneels before Jesus, and it says he implores him. And that word implores just means he begged him. He was earnestly, urgently begging him, saying, Jesus, you are my only hope. So that's what's, what's going on here. And he says to Jesus, if you're willing, you could make me clean. And then verse 41, it says, moved with pity, he, Jesus, stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. So this is shocking. Jesus, Jesus reaches out and touches this guy who is full of leprosy. So legally, Jesus was contaminated at this point. It wasn't a sin to touch someone with leprosy, but you were unclean, and those two could be separate a little bit. And so this is bad news to everybody around. I mean, the normal law was if you had leprosy, you could go to a priest, and a priest would look at you but not touch you to try to diagnose whether it was leprosy, whether you still had it. This guy goes to Jesus, and Jesus touches him. But then verse 42, and immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. So Jesus, who is clean, touches the leper who is unclean, and the unclean one is made clean, which didn't happen. If you were sick, you could make other people sick. But being well didn't mean that you were contagious and could make other people well. If you get a stomach flu, nobody says, here's what you really need. You need to get around a lot of people who are healthy, um, get around some well people, and you'll, just, you'll catch it, and, uh, and you'll be feeling better in no time. We know that disease spreads, but wellness doesn't. Here's this guy with the disease. Jesus touches him and spreads his wellness to him. Jesus contaminates the leper with his health. Jesus doesn't get contaminated. Uh, When Jesus touches leprosy, leprosy has to be afraid. Jesus isn't afraid of touching the leper. And then, this, this gets weird here, verse 43, it says, And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone. But go yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. So the way it had worked in God's law was that if you had something that looked like leprosy and you thought that it went away, you would go to the priest, the priest would examine you, and then you would offer sacrifices. And then once it was confirmed that you weren't leprous, you would be reintroduced into society. So so that was the the way it normally worked. And Jesus said, go do all of that. Go have the priest confirm that this is legitimate and then live as a healed man. But he says, don't tell anyone about this. And there are a few different places where Jesus does that, and that's always struck me as weird. Um, Because none of us, if you were led to Jesus by somebody, probably they didn't say, okay, you are a Christian now, you put your faith in Jesus, what you need to do is tell nobody at all. We don't sing, you know, this little light of mine, I'm going to snuff it out. Um, (laughs) Hide it under a bushel. Yes! No, we, we know that... 
We come to faith in Jesus, and we're supposed to go and tell people. Like, so why in the world does Jesus look at this guy and say, I've just transformed your life, I've changed you, I've healed you, you're reintegrated into society, so don't tell anybody about it. Seems a little weird. Now, some of what we don't catch is that in verse 43, Jesus is angry. Uh, it could, could be rendered almost like he, Jesus snorted with anger. And then he cast this guy out, and he uses the word ekbalo. It's the word that he uses when he casts out demons. So he sends this guy away with anger. And that doesn't seem to make much sense either. I mean, you would understand if up front Jesus was angry when a leper approached him. I mean, here comes this guy who's contagious, and he's getting close to Jesus, who's the son of God. If anybody is not unclean, it's Jesus. And here comes this guy who's clearly unclean, full of leprosy, infected, contagious. He comes up to Jesus. At that moment, you might expect anger. You might expect him to say, don't get near me. I'm the son of God. I'm clean. You're not going to contaminate me. And if you have people over for dinner, and and the guy is just sneezing and coughing the whole time, and then at the end of the meal, he says, my doctor says I have bird flu. It's uh, potentially fatal and very contagious. You're going to be mad at that point. That makes sense. When the diseased person threatens to get you diseased, you get upset at that. But why is it that Jesus isn't upset at all when when this guy approaches him, but then he is upset after he's cleansed, after he's healed, and when Jesus says, get out of here and don't tell anybody? Well, Jesus knows what's about to happen. He knows that this guy is going to disobey him and is going to tell everyone about what just happened. So why would that make him mad? Well, this is early on in Jesus' ministry, and so nobody really knew what Jesus looked like. I mean, we, we totally forget that there was a day when people didn't know what the celebrities looked like. I mean, we, we mentioned the name of a celebrity, and you've got that picture, George Clooney. you got the picture in your head. You know what he looks like, but it's not like there was internet and TV, and people had those pictures that were floating around in their head already. They didn't know what Jesus looked like. So he could, while he'd go into a town and crowds would gather and see the miracles, he could go into the next town and he could go anywhere without attracting attention. So that meant he could go to the people who were sick. He could go to the people who couldn't get to him on their own. He could go to the people who were the most needy and he could bring his healing. He could bring his hope. He could teach them. And he could do it without this huge crowd around him and without attention from all the authorities. He was able to get to a lot more people. But then this is what happens in verse 45. But he, the leper, went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places. And people were coming to him from every quarter. So now Jesus has to go out into the places where nobody lives, the desolate places, go out into the wilderness, and people have to come to him, which is okay. They're coming to him, they're getting to him, and thousands of people are hearing from him. But there are certain people, some of the people who needed him the most, who can't get to him anymore. In fact, the next story in the book of Mark is the story of a guy who's paralyzed, he's laying on a mat, and the only way he's able to get to Jesus through these huge crowds is he's got four good friends who carry him there, who can't get to Jesus, so they go up onto the roof of the house, open up the roof, and lower him right in front of Jesus. Well, that's good. That guy had the friends who would do that. But what about the hundreds of others who were in his same condition that didn't have those friends? Previously, Jesus was able to go and get to them, but now because of the crowds, because of the attention, those people didn't get what they needed. So you can understand a little bit of Jesus snorting with anger. You can understand a little bit of him saying, these crowds are changing my ministry now. In fact, in Luke 5, it says that right after Jesus did this miracle, the Pharisees from Galilee, Judea, and all Jerusalem gathered around him. So he attracted attention from these religious authorities. 
And, and one of the big reasons is the Jews had in their mind, at least some scholars say, three big types of miracles that the Messiah was going to do when he comes. And those three types of miracles were casting out a demon that made somebody mute. If somebody could never talk and the, and the Messiah showed up, he would cast out that demon and the person could talk. The second one is healing the blind. And the third one was cleansing lepers. And so in those three categories of miracles, you see people reacting in a bigger way than when Jesus does the other miracles. Those are the kind of miracles that people see him do and they say, is this the son of David? Those are the kind of miracles they do. And all of a sudden, all of the religious authorities, the crowds, the powerful people gather around him to see if he's the Messiah. So because of the disobedience of this one leper, Jesus goes viral and his ministry becomes a lot harder to do now. He, he can't get to some of the people who need him the most. But by the way, just because his ministry changed because of the crowds, he didn't quit doing it. He didn't say, I'm not doing exactly what I wanted to do, so I'm just going to stop. He kept working in a non-ideal environment and, and did what he was called to do. So this leper's mouth gets in the way, messes up Jesus' ministry. But here's some good news. God in his faithfulness used even the sin of this leper in disobeying Jesus to, yes, attract the attention of the crowds, but then to attract the attention of the religious authorities and eventually to lead to the crucifixion and death of Jesus, which saved all who would believe in him and eventually saves the cosmos, saves the world. So God takes even the disobedience of man, even the things that mess up the plan and uses them as part of his plan. God always does that. He's always good to work all things out for the good of his people and for his own glory. So, so even the sin of the leper here, God used now, when we look at a story like this, there, there's always more than we can bring out in 40 minutes. Uh, I, I hope that your only time in the Bible is not your time at Grace Road on Sunday morning. I hope you spend time studying it alone. I hope you spend time in your small group with it. I hope you spend time pouring over the scripture and really going in deep because there's so much there that we're not able to bring out just in the short amount of time that we have together. But, but in this passage, we see a ton. For one, we see the power of Jesus over sickness and disease that absolutely confirms that he's the Lord. In Psalm 103, it says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases. So one of the marks of the Lord is that he heals disease. And when we see Jesus healing disease, especially incurable diseases like leprosy, we know that he's the Lord. We also know a little bit of what things will be like when he comes back and finally rules and reigns over all things. We're seeing just the first glimmers of the dawn of his new kingdom that he's going to be bringing where there won't be any sickness, there won't be any disease, there won't be any more suffering, that people won't be isolated from one another. We see that Jesus cares not just about healing disease, but also about community, about connecting people to one another. He wants to restore bodies, he wants to restore life, he wants to restore family and community and fellowship. In every miracle that Jesus does, he's showing us this is what things will be like when I rule the world. When God shows up, this is what happens. And so everywhere Jesus goes to a town, we see transformation and healing and joy, celebration, forgiveness, and rescue. And that's just a little taste of what things are going to be like for us when he finally comes back. And by the way, this is really good news during election season because everybody's trying to scare us right now. Uh, everybody's trying to say, if you vote wrong, everything's going to be terrible. Everything's going to go to pot. The future could go really bad. And, and honestly, the future will go badly at times. Things will go to pot. Sin will run its course and will do damage. But as Christians, we should be ultimately very hopeful people. And I think we should go out and vote and maybe try to slow down the dissent and, you know, choose the lesser of two evils. I think we should go do that, and I think we should work for the good of the place where we live. 
But ultimately, we should do all of that work in hope of a kingdom that's coming. And, and that kingdom isn't a perfect America. That kingdom is a perfect, where, where perfect King Jesus rules and reigns over everything. And that's coming. And that's good news. And, and in all the miracles of Jesus, we see little tastes of who he is. So there's a lot to focus on in this passage. Um, but I just want to talk about this leper. He just won the lottery. I mean, this guy, he hears that Jesus can heal, and he approaches Jesus, and he finds in Jesus the healing that he wanted, but he also finds a king. He finds the most compassionate guy ever to live. What he finds in Jesus is far greater than anything that he was even looking for, even though he was looking for a lot. And a tragedy is that at the exact same time, there were hundreds of other lepers around here who didn't come to Jesus. There's this one guy who has enough faith to go to him and believes that he can heal him, and he finds the healing he's after, but there are dozens and hundreds of other lepers, whole colonies of lepers, who hear about Jesus' healing, who don't believe, who don't go to him, and don't get the healing that they could have. It's a tragedy, and the tragedy is that there are many people here today who are going to live out that same tragedy. Now, I know we don't have leprosy. I mean, it's curable in our day, uh, you're probably not going to have it for long in America if, unless something just is, is really wrong. Uh, but, but for the most part, we can have that cured. Our problem is not a skin disease, but we have a deeper problem. We have one that's more significant to our lives and to our futures, and that really is the problem with our sin. There are many people here, I think, who will miss Jesus just like all those other lepers did, and that's a huge tragedy. There are really two big ways that we can miss Jesus. For one, I think that there are probably a lot of people who are here today who have not yet put your trust in Christ. You know, you, you've heard about this Jesus. You have uh, recognized the weight and the guilt that seems to lay on you. You feel like life's not what it should be. You feel like you've fallen short. You feel like there's probably a God out there, and maybe you've come out here looking for him this morning. Or maybe some friends have dragged you, and you didn't want to be here at all this morning. But I think there are people here today who don't know Christ who haven't put your faith in Christ, who haven't gone to him for forgiveness of your sin and healing, and for many different reasons will decide never to go. And maybe you decide he could never forgive me. And my sin's too dark. It's too incurable. He couldn't handle it. Maybe you'll dig in and think, no, I can come up with a better solution than Jesus. I don't need to yield and go to him. And the tragedy for you is that you spend your whole life just crying out unclean, living an unclean life, and dying apart from the one who actually could clean you and heal you. But this is also a tragedy for Christians, because what can happen sometimes is we come to Jesus, and after we come to Jesus, we still sin. We still fall short of God's glory. And when we sin enough times, we can get into some ruts that are so deep, we can fall into some patterns that it just seems like we're not breaking out of, and we start to just accept our sin as the norm. You know, eventually our sins become comfortable habits, you know, sins like lust or pride or anger. We hang on to our bitterness. We hang on to our resentment. We hang on to our hatred. We cling to the comfort that greed brings us or we feed our addictions. We, we treat as normal all the broken relationships that are all around us. We have nagging doubts, we have crippling fears, and we live in those long enough that eventually we get used to them and we say, this is where I'm stuck, this is who I am now. I'm a leper. You know, sometimes you might have those sober moments where you wake up and you go, man, I can't believe how far I've fallen. I can't believe how far I am from Jesus. I can't believe how much I've dug in and committed to this way of life and committed to this sin. But then we ignore that and go on with our day, 
all the while, we could be cured and healed by Jesus. You know, all throughout the Bible, leprosy was not called sin, but it it was used to show us what sin is like. Sin sometimes seems like it's incurable. It causes dozens of other problems and conditions. Sins always come in bunches. Over time, our sin isolates us and keeps us off by ourselves. It can spread within a community of people where we all just sort of accept something and it just grows. Over time, it dehumanizes us, and if we leave it unchecked, it turns us into monsters too. Eventually, just like leprosy became the identity of someone who had it, our sin can start to become our identity. Whether society labels us because of the type of sin that we've fallen into, or just internally we label ourselves, we start to really not have names. We start to just be leper. I'm shady. I'm perverted. I'm dirty. I'm defiled. I'm useless. And we start to believe that that's who we are. We start to believe it could never go otherwise when the whole while Jesus is there to forgive and to heal. And if that's the place we live, it's a tragedy. So we need to look at this leper and look how he came to Jesus so that we can follow this pattern and come to Jesus too because Jesus is there willing to cleanse and to heal. So how did he come to Jesus? First of all, this leper comes to him fully acknowledging his uncleanness. You know, of course, at this point, there was no hiding it. His disease had progressed. There was no pretending he wasn't a leper. But I would imagine early on when you first get leprosy, there's a temptation to ignore that, to throw that off the side, and to just kind of think it must be something else. It'll go away. Because you know that if you're diagnosed with leprosy, that changes everything. And who wants those consequences? You know, right now, I'm way overdue for a cholesterol check, and um, I'm just going to assume it's okay. Because uh, I don't want to know. <laughs> because I know that if I find out that I have high cholesterol, I'm going to have to do something about that. And whatever that is, it's not going to be fun. Um, I want to believe that it's okay. Bring on the garbage plates. Keep them coming. I'm, I'm good. This is, this is okay. I, I'm just going to put it out of sight, out of mind, and feel good about things. And imagine when that first little white spot shows up on your skin or that first boil shows up, you just say, man, I don't want to pay any attention to this. I, I, I want to hope that that just goes away. I want to cover that up. I want to live as part of this society. I do not want to be a leper. But the truth is, if we just ignore our sin, eventually it destroys us. And if we continue to ignore our sin, we continue to hide our sin, we never actually come to Jesus who can forgive it and change it. You know, sometimes we hide, hide our sins because early on a lot of sins are very private. You know, um, lust and greed and anger are all things that we can keep inside for a while. Uh, we convince ourselves that they won't get bigger. We convince ourselves that we have them managed. But the truth is, they grow. They grow and they fester. Sin is always like that. And eventually, they become evident to people that, that are around us. But if we're in those early stages, we can hide it long enough and, and just keep it all covered up so that instead of going to Jesus and actually finding cleansing and forgiveness, we just hang on to it and, and keep it all buried. You know, sometimes we, we hide our sins in plain sight because everybody has accepted our brand of sin. Everybody does them. Everybody says those things are okay. So we feel like we're in good shape because we're doing those same things and, and, that everybody else is doing. So, so why in the world would we ever confess that as sin when I look around and everybody has it? But that's like saying if there were a leprosy outbreak in a city, that everybody's okay now. Well, just because everybody has it doesn't mean it's not leprosy. In fact, it's a bigger problem now because everybody has it. It, This is an outbreak. This is bad news. But what we tend to do is if there's an outbreak of a certain sin in a culture or society and we're living in that same sin, 
We don't go to Jesus for healing and cleansing because that, everybody's doing the same thing. Or sometimes what we'll do is we'll compare ourselves to the other cases of leprosy, and if ours isn't as bad, then we assume we don't need to go to Jesus. So you go to work, and you have a bad day. You come home, and you know there was sin, bad attitudes, bad thoughts, an awful lot of wrong stuff going on, and you say, I really need to take care of this, so I'm going to watch some reality TV. And, and you turn it on, and you watch these people, and you say, well, I'm not as bad as them. I, I'm not on Jersey Shore. But that's like saying, if your leprosy hasn't reached this point where you are falling apart and you're full of leprosy, then you don't have it. We, we like to compare ourselves to the worst cases out there so we don't turn to Jesus and hide our sins in plain sight. Or sometimes we won't acknowledge that our, there are sins and we just blame other people. Uh, we, we won't accept that the sin is our problem, and so, so we say we don't need to go to Jesus with it. And right now, my car is starting to age, and it's, um, it was never great to begin with, but it's, really, it's falling apart now where a lot is going wrong. And so there are different burning rubber smells that are coming out of different parts of the car, and different noises that come up. And sometimes those noises will come up, and I'll try to solve the problem by rolling up my windows and turning on the radio and uh, just, just ignoring that. And then the smells will come, and, and I'll drive down the street. And my, the first thing I do when I'm driving down the street and I smell that burning rubber smell, which has been coming out quite a bit lately, is I look for another car to blame it on. Like, I'm looking for the junker around me somewhere so I can say, oh, phew, it's that guy. Couldn't, couldn't be me. I'm all right. But then if I keep driving and that guy's not there anymore and I'm still smelling that, eventually I have to say, I think this problem is mine. Eventually I have to say, this is me. And what we love to do is, if we can, we love to blame our sins on other people. We love to say it's somebody else's fault. But the truth is, if we're the common uh, factor in all these sinful situations and the same things keep coming up, eventually it's our problem. If you look at your life and you've got this long string of broken relationships, and you look back and you can explain them all away, and you can say, that first one, that was his fault, and then her fault, and then her fault, and his fault, and then this guy did this, and then this lady did this, and you blame all these people for all these relationships that were once close, and now they're all broken, eventually you just have to say there's one common factor in all those relationships, and it's me. Eventually we just have to say, I'm not going to blame everybody else. I'm going to acknowledge that this problem is mine, so I can go to Jesus for a cure instead of trying to solve it by burying it or solve it by blaming it. And sometimes we try to blame our problems on our history, like where we say, you know, my dad was like that. He was a pretty angry guy, so that's why I'm angry. Uh, I'm, I'm just always going to be this way. Or, or genetically, I am predisposed toward this one sin because I see a lot of it in my family going all the way back, and so that's just how I'm going to be. And the truth is, a lot of times when we're blaming other people for our sin, there can be some truth to it. And I think there is some truth to the fact that we are predisposed towards certain sins. I think there is some truth that we learn some behaviors from our families and from our surroundings. I think there is truth that in all that, those string of relationships, it maybe wasn't 100% us. But none of those things are an excuse for sin. They may explain some of where they started, but ultimately, there are problems. And if we just keep excusing, explaining, blaming, ignoring, hiding, covering, we never go to Jesus. If this leper had not acknowledged his need, he never would have come to Christ and he never would have found healing. And I think pretty often we do that same thing. We don't acknowledge our need because we're, we're blaming everybody else. We don't admit our reality. We don't admit that we've got this sinful, rebellious, fallen heart, this fallen condition. So we never go to Jesus for the cure. And that's a tragedy. To really come to Jesus for freedom, for forgiveness, for life, we've got to admit our guilt. 
We've got to admit our uncleanness. But it can't end there. I mean, that's where religion usually ends it. Religion usually says there are a bunch of commands and you broke them. You've got leprosy. So feel bad about that. Go feel guilty. There, that, that's what you got. Here are the laws. You broke them. Or you've got leprosy. Try to solve that on your own. Maybe take a bath. Try to scrub that away. Maybe get some Neosporin and some Band-Aids. Try all these solutions that ultimately won't be solutions. That's what religion does. It says you've sinned, you've fallen short, and there's nothing you can do about it, so be guilty. Or try to solve it, and the solutions never work. Well, the good news is that we're not here today to hold out a religious solution to our sin problem, because there isn't one. We're here to hold out the gospel. And the gospel is good news, and what that good news says is that, yeah, what religion says, its diagnosis is absolutely right. We have fallen short. But the good news is that we're not stuck there. The good news is that there's one who loves us and will cleanse us and will heal us. And that's the next thing. This leper, when he comes to Jesus, he comes acknowledging his need, but he also comes in complete confidence that Jesus can heal him. He comes and he says to Jesus, if you're willing, you can make me clean. So he knows that there's not even a chance that Jesus is going to try to heal him and fail. He knows that Jesus has the power to heal him. He knows that it all depends on the will of Jesus, not on the power of Jesus at all. So he comes to him confidently. This is important for us because a lot of times we convince ourselves, you know, I will just always be an alcoholic. I'll always be a porn addict. I'll always be an adulterer. I'll always be a liar. I'll always be a gossip. I'll always be angry. I'll always be bitter. But we need to go to Jesus recognizing that he can change that, that he has the power to change that sin, that he does cleanse leprosy. And sometimes our sins just get so ingrained into who we are, they get their tentacles all wrapped around our personality, and it seems like we could never separate that sin from us. But we have to go to Jesus in confidence that he has the power to do that. Not only does he have the power, but in this passage, we see that he is willing. This leper goes to him and he says, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus immediately says to him, I'm willing. Of course, I'm willing. Be clean. Sometimes we have this picture of God that he's just really not willing to receive us. That we're just an interruption to him. That that there are certain people that he wants to clean and then others will turn to him and he'll reject them. But Jesus said, of all those who come to me, I will not lose one. So we have to drop the idea that there's a God up there rejecting people who are coming to him and coming to him on his terms. That's just not the way that it works. That's not the way our God works. He's a God who is willing to clean, willing to heal, willing to change us. And you say, yeah, but what about like, God's sovereignty and, and his, his judgment and his holiness? What about predestination and all that stuff? Doesn't that mean that there are certain people out there who will turn to God, they'll turn to God on his terms, they'll come and beg before Jesus, imploring him, saying, Jesus, if you're willing, you can make me clean, and he'll say, no, get away from me. Isn't that the truth of Scripture? Listen, I believe in predestination, but I believe that what that means is that if you turn to God, it's because he started that work in your heart to begin with. So, so you can turn to God with even more confidence because of that. You can turn to him believing that he'll receive you because he already started that work and he finishes what he starts. There's not going to be a single person on judgment day who stands before God and God is casting him away from his presence and that person says, God, I sought you with all my heart. I went after you. I wanted you. I came to you on your terms. I humbled myself. I believed in your cross. I went after you and you rejected me. Jesus said, of all those who come to me, I won't lose one. The Bible says, whoever 
calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So if we recognize our need for Jesus, and I hope we do, I hope we also recognize his willingness. Man, if you're willing to go to him, he's willing to receive you. He's willing to make you clean. He's not up there as a monster. When we turn to Jesus, uh, Martin Luther said that we go to him not trying to overcome God's reluctance, but lay hold of his willingness. We have a willing God. And the gospel says this. The gospel says that God came to us and died for us on the cross. While we had all rejected him, we all hated him, we all ran the other way, he came for us. That's a God who's willing to save. That's a God who's willing to forgive. And so if you're at that place where you recognize you need him, turn to him and lay hold of his willingness and don't feel like you're going to meet resistance there. You're meeting open arms. So we have to admit our need. We have to to come to Jesus in confidence that he can heal us. And next, we need to come to Jesus recognizing who he is, really coming on his terms. This leper comes to Jesus and he kneels down before him. So he's recognizing that Jesus Christ is King and Lord. And this is what faith in Jesus looks like. We need to make sure our faith is consistent. If we believe that God is a God who can heal us and forgive us, then he's also a God who is God. If we recognize that we have this huge need and God's the only one who can meet the need, then we go to him not just to have that need met, but understanding that he's the God who's over everything. You know, sometimes what we'll do is we'll go to Jesus because we've got this need, and it can be, God, I just really want a spouse. And so we, we go before him, and we implore him, and we beg him for that spouse, and we take our spouse, and we convince ourselves, okay, now I've got my spouse, and I can run and kind of dismiss God. He's not going to rule over my life. And if he's powerful enough to give you a spouse, even you, then, uh, <laughs> then he's a God who's God. Or we'll go to him and we'll say, I want forgiveness. I want heaven. And does he give those things? Absolutely. But if he's powerful enough to give you heaven, then he's God. And this leper goes to him yielding. He goes to him recognizing, I'm not just coming to get a healing and then getting away. I'm coming for a king. And when we come to Jesus, we are coming to the one who is the king over us, who rules over us, who reigns over us. We're coming to him bow. We're coming to him yielding. We're not just trying to get something away from him and then run. And this leper got that. He goes to Jesus and he goes all in on him. He recognizes that he is completely hopeless without Christ. He's not coming saying, you know, I think I'm going to try this Jesus thing. And if it doesn't work, you know, there's plan B and plan C. Uh, You know, maybe I'll try some other religions. Maybe I'll try some other holy books. But, uh, But Jesus is one of these things that I'm trying. He goes all in. He says, Jesus, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And he bows and he yields. And if we're going to come to Jesus, we need to have that same posture that says that he's God, that says I'm not just sampling him, but I'm going all in. So this is a message to all of those who are here who don't believe in Christ, to recognize sin, to kneel and turn to Jesus, where you'll find him completely willing to forgive you and to receive you. And it's a call to Christians to just stop settling to stop settling for the life of sin and complacency, to stop saying that this sin defines me, this is who I am, this is where I'll always be, and to recognize that we have a God who's a God. We have a Jesus who's a Savior who can heal us and cleanse us. You say, but my heart just won't yield to him. What what do I do with that? I I don't want to go to him. Well, that's where we need to continually look back to his gospel to see our hearts softened. I mean, if you look at the big picture that's painted in this great exchange here, at the beginning of this story, where's Jesus? 
He's, he's in the towns. He's with the people. He's integrated with people because he's not a leper. So he's allowed to be around people. He's got all these people around him. Things are good. In general, Jesus is pretty popular at this time. And where's the leper? He's out in the desolate places. He, he can't go live near people. He's out isolated. But then he runs to Jesus. Jesus heals him. And where do they end up at the end of the story? The leper is cleansed and reintegrated into society. He's living like a clean man now. And where's Jesus? He can't go into the towns and cities anymore. He's living out in the desolate places. See, there's a big exchange that happens here. Jesus touches the unclean man, and then Jesus spends his life living like an unclean man. And that unclean man, because he was touched by Jesus, lives like he's clean. This is really what Jesus did later on the cross. Jesus was taking outside the city. He had all of our sin and our guilt and our uncleanness put on him. He died on the cross. He was buried and he rose again. On that cross, he's isolated. He's by himself. He's forsaken even by his father. He suffers and he dies so that whoever believes in him would be cleansed, would, would not perish, but have everlasting life. So we started out with our spiritual leprosy, and we come to Jesus, and he t- takes all that uncleanness on himself. He dies, he pays for it, and he makes us clean, he makes us free, puts us in community, puts us in the family, adopts us as the sons of God. That's good news. But the cost was that he had to take his uncleanness, or our uncleanness on him. The Bible says he became sin for us who knew no sin, so that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And believing that, when we believe in that, that's where the power to really see our hearts change comes from. It's what Romans says. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So that power that we ran to when we first came to Christ to be saved, his death, burial, and resurrection on the cross, that's the power we need to keep going back to to continually be cleansed and continually see freedom from our sin. There's real power in this message of the cross. There's real power in this gospel where Jesus Christ came to become our substitute. And if we keep looking to that, keep believing in that, then we become cleansed. We become new. For now, let's bow our heads and close our eyes. You know, anytime we hear the word of God taught, anytime we hear the gospel, uh, what that should do in all of us is, is bring about some confession. And now would be a good time to confess to God the ways that we've accepted our sins. We've accepted the bitterness and the resentment and all all those other sins that have started to define us in our minds. We've made peace with those things, and now is a good time to confess those. To confess our fears, confess our pride. And look again to the gospel as the place where we find our power and our healing. In Jeremiah, God says, My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. We're very quick as Christians to run from Jesus and run to everything else and to be dominated not by Jesus but by our fears, by our sins, by our addictions. But the promise is that we can turn back to him and find forgiveness and healing, and he's willing. That's really good news. So Christians, let's confess those things. If you're here today and you'd say, I'm not a 
Christian. I don't have that relationship with Christ. I want you to know that there's nothing you can do to get your leprosy cured. It is permanent. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of God's glory. We all deserve hell. And we can't fix that problem. But the good news is that Jesus came to make a great exchange. To take our sin, to take our judgment, to take it all on himself. To die on the cross and be buried and rise again. So that whoever trusts in him will not perish but have everlasting life. So if you're here and you recognize that today, then just admit the sinfulness and then trust Jesus. Trust in his gospel, his cross. Trust in his death to save sinners. Repent, which means you turn from sin and turn from unbelief. You don't go to Jesus trying to save face or save your dignity. You go like this leper begging on your knees. And the picture of the character of God we have here in Scripture is that he is willing to receive you. And so if you go to him with nothing to bring, but only trusting in the cross of Jesus Christ, he promises forgiveness and healing. And then he makes you his son or daughter. He adopts you into his family. He integrates you with a people. He transforms your life just like he transformed the life of the leper, and it's a promise. Our Father, we just thank you for what you've shown us in your scripture. Jesus, your gospel is a great fountain for us to continually be drinking from. Lord, it's always good for us to hear it. The, the truth of your gospel just hits us right where we need it every time. And Lord, we confess the ways that we have carved out these cisterns that can't hold water when we've got the spring of living water in Jesus that we're running away from. And so Jesus, I pray that this morning your spirit would work in our hearts so that we're running back to you, so that we sense again the fact that you are our father, that we are in your family, that we're integrated into a people, uh, that we're loved and accepted because of your cross. So Jesus, restore our faith, restore our belief in that today. Lord, restore our confidence that you can change us, that you can cleanse us of our sin. And then, Jesus, I ask that you would do it. Make us a holy and pure people that reflect your character and your life and your cleanness to this world around us. And I pray this in Jesus' name.